0: Heavenly Father, it is good to be in your presence. It is good to worship you. Amen. It's good for us to offer our bodies to you as a holy sacrifice, a living sacrifice, a pleasing sacrifice. And may you continue to be exalted through the preaching of. Of the word of God this morning to build up your church this I pray in Jesus name Amen take a seat if you would I want you to picture a uh, this scene it was a scene at our wedding and probably at other weddings a newly married couple they have just exchanged their vows And they're leaving the church to start their new lives together. Do you even remember this? I remember this, walking out of Hudson Community Chapel, walking towards our car. Well, the guests, what do they do? They gather outside, and they throw rice at the bride and groom, an ancient tradition associated with good luck and fertility. Did you know that? That's why you throw the rice and so on? Who knew that? Because I did not until I researched this. Okay. But just as you're about to start, someone cries out, stop, didn't you know that rice kills birds? Do you guys know that? We didn't have rice, we were blowing bubbles at our, remember that, at our, our wedding. Um, now the theory is that wild birds who eat the rice will be harmed when the grains soak up stomach fluids, making them explode. And concern for wildlife has been so great that in 1985, a Bill, known as an act prohibiting the use of uncooked rice at nuptial fairs was introduced in Connecticut. Who knew that? I did, and you didn't. Well, to protect birds who might be unwittingly harmed by leftover rice. Now, this was an O-R-I, Orinthian, they, the bird specialist, it's a myth. Ornithologist, thank you. Um, see, she know how to say it, and I didn't. Um, Yeah, that's a myth, okay? But nonetheless, this was put up to be a law. In Massachusetts, Charles Knox traveled to fairs and carnivals, and you've probably done this in your lifetime. Um, He traveled to fairs and carnivals throughout the United States for the past 22 years uh, with a game in which contestants pay to toss a ping pong ball into a glass bowl with a goldfish swimming in it. Who's ever seen that game before at carnivals or fairs? Very good. If the ball splashes into the target, a fish is awarded in a clear plastic bag full of water. Now when the Massachusetts Society for the Preservation of Cruelty to Animals heard of Knox's plan to set up a booth at the Brockton Fair, the organization notified him he'd be breaking a state anti-cruelty law. Knox contested the law in court, but the court sided with the MSPCA, saying state anti-cruelty laws are directed against acts which may be thought to have a tendency to dull humanitarian feelings and to corrupt the morales of those who observe or have knowledge of those acts. So the creatures may not be awarded as goldfish, may not be awarded as prizes in games of chance. Because a practice could corrupt the morales of those involved. <laughs> that makes sense, doesn't it? Absolutely. Now you can imagine, like, like myself and most of you here, you would kind of shake our heads, right, in, in disbelief at some of the ridiculous laws that exist in our society for the protection of wildlife, while at the same time, passionately and aggressively People campaign for laws that allow for the barbaric slaughtering of innocent children in the wombs of mothers. It's legal to do to a child. It's a nice transition, right? But it's legal to do to a child what you might be arrested for doing to a bird or a goldfish. Folks, what in the world is going on in our world? Here are some sobering statistics. And there are napkins, not napkins, tissues. This may be a tissue type sermon, so I'm just warning you. According to the National Right to Life, total abortions, because this is the issue that was even on display at the presidential, vice presidential debate, abortions since 1973, that was the year Roe versus Wade, the Supreme Court decision, 61 million. 628,584 babies have been aborted. That number is updated regularly. Abortion was the leading cause of death worldwide in 2019, killing 42 million people. Now put this into perspective, when, you contra- when contrasting the abortion numbers to other causes of death, including cancer, Heart attack, HIV, AIDS, traffic accidents, suicide, abortions far outnumber every other cause. In 2017, it's hard to get the updated statistics, but in 2017, there were 862,320 abortions in America. The number one cause of death in Washington state is abortion. And according to the organization's annual report, Planned Parenthood Federation of America, the nation's largest abortion provider, performed 345, over 345,000 abortions during their 2018 fiscal year. Now, let me put this number into perspective, because remember, there's that is is if there was 862,000 abortions, they are performing 345,000 of those. Okay. Planned Parenthood Parenthood provided 4,279 adoption referrals in 2018. Now what this figure equates to is 0.04% of Planned Parenthood services provided during that time period. And let me state it differently. For every one of those abortions for 2018, Planned Parenthood um, performed almost 81 abortions. Let me read this differently. For every one of these adoptions, referrals, 4,279, they performed 81 abortions. Take the number 4,279 into that 345,000 number. One adoption to 81 abortions. Okay? So you need to just be educated that they claim to be a health and reproductive... You know, welfare organization. They are not. Okay? They are not. Abortions made up 95% of Planned Parenthood's pregnancy resolution services. If you haven't watched the movie Unplanned, you might want to watch it. I've, I've encouraged you to watch it, it's a good movie. It goes into that. Uh, William Brennan wrote the book the abortion holocaust today's final solution in it and in that book he shares this story on november 11th 1976 dr willard Cates presented an article at a meeting of planned parenthood physicians the title of the paper presented by dr Cates at the meeting was this abortion as treatment for unwanted pregnancy the number two, sexually transmitted disease. Pregnancy is now considered in our country by some as a sexually transmitted disease. So this is why I am reading, you need to be educated on this stuff. It's not, this is not another easy sermon to prepare, okay? But it's why you need to know what these parties stand for when you make your vote. The stimulus bill that they're trying to pass, just to give you an FYI, that the Democrats and Republicans, they're trying to negotiate another stimulus package. Again, one of the reasons why that's being held up, the Democratic Party wants to put into the stimulus package repeal of the Hyde Act in federal funding for abortions. I told you, this is what the Democratic Party, it's all, you read it up there on the screen last week, this is what they live and die for. This is their identity. It has nothing to do with you getting money. And so that's one of the reasons why this whole stimulus package is being held up. This was a a, a comment that Larry Kudrow, who's an economic advisor, said to Sandra Smith on Fox News. And the thing that was disturbing about it was it was just common knowledge. Between the two of them. So Everyone knows that in, in Washington. Okay? They tried to sneak other stuff in the first package and it was just shot down until it just went to, you know, the money went to where it should go. So, we live in an insane world, and these are sobering statistics. Let's take a moment, let's talk about the, the pro choice movement. How did we ever get to the place where we just massacre infants in the safest place, the womb? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. We have to go back to the beginning. In John eight forty four. it says this. You've heard me say this before. You are of your father the devil, this is Jesus speaking, to the Pharisees, And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is the father of murder. And by that I mean he was the first murderer. And when he came down to earth one of the first things he did is he moved Cain to kill Abel and unleashed on the world the whole array of murders that has characterized human existence. He was behind the murder of the Jews, just to put it in perspective, in Nazi concentration camps. And he's behind the slaughtering of little infants in what was meant to be the safest place, the mother's womb. Now, Satan particularly, the Bible says, goes after babies. He did in Moses' day, and he did in Jesus' day. Do you remember those stories? He wanted to kill all the young Hebrew children in Egypt because of the fear that a deliverer would come. And he wanted to kill all the two-year-old and under babies in and around Jerusalem for fear that the Messiah King was coming. Satan is a murderer, and all murders are reflective of satanic hatred of the purposes of God and the life that God creates. Now, his strategy in America has been to slowly remove God from American culture and then to attack the sacredness of human life. If you didn't know that, well, now you do. One of the signs of the effectiveness of his strategy is the pro-choice movement. Defenseless, innocent children are seen to have no intrinsic worth. And this is summed up in the hideous pro-abortion slogan, It's a choice, not a child. It's a choice, not a child. Now, it has to be a choice, and I want you to hear me on this. Because the overwhelming medical and scientific evidence points to life beginning at conception. Dr. Jerome Lejeune was a professor of fundamental genetics in Paris. This guy is a legend when it comes to genetics, by the way. He is recognized all over the world to be one of the greatest humanitarians of the 20th century. He's called the father of modern genetics he discovered the 47th chromosome. And not writing as a Christian, this is what he wrote. It says, life has a very long history, but each individual has a very neat beginning, the moment of its conception. The material link is the molecular thread of DNA. You all seen that, right, the DNA thread? In each reproductive cell, this ribbon, roughly one meter long, is cut into pieces, 23 or chromosomes. As soon as the 23 paternally derived chromosomes are united through fertilization to the 23 maternal ones, the full genetic meeting necessary to express all the inborn qualities of the new individual is gathered in personal constitution takes place. At two weeks of age, the human being is less than one thumb length from the head to the rump, He would fit at ease in a nutshell, but everything is there. Hands, feet, head, organs, brain. In the fourth week, there is consciousness. All are in place. His heart or her heart has been beating for a month. By the second month, his fingerprints can be detected. His heart is beating 150 to 170 beats per minute. And to accept the fact that after fertilization has taken place, a new human being has come into being is no longer a matter of taste or opinion. But we have reached the point that we now have one of the two political parties in this country, the Democratic Party, that includes slaughtering innocent infants in the womb as part of its platform. Well, how can they justify murder? Well, here's the primary reason they give, because they can't do it medically. But the evidence is overwhelming. The reason they give is this, that women need total reproductive freedom. In fact, Betty Friedan, who was a leader of the feminist movement, said this. Women must have abortion as backup to contraceptive failure. Now think about that: murder as a backup. And by the way, in the perfect world presented by the Democratic Party and I would say this if this was true of the Republican Party too I'm not taking any sides, I'm trying to go down the middle I'm just stating what they have stated. To educate us. In their perfect world, this would all be paid for by you. With your tax money. The only way they can think that way is they have to, what I call, devalue life. It's not a life, they say. It's a choice. And as a society that has rejected God, we no longer believe in the sanctity of human life. Now, there is perhaps no greater evidence of this than states, New York and Virginia, that are actually advocating for legalized abortion after the birth of a child. The consequences of the pro choice movement, folks, it continues after. Abortion. There's widely known studies that show a correlation between abortion and child abuse. Did you know that? When abortion was legalized in the United States, there were 167,000 child abuse cases per year. It was legalized in 1973. By 1979, there were 711,000. 1982, there were one million. Now you ask, well, what's the correlation? Well, the correlation is this. You begin to educate the whole society that a child is a non-person. Not worth living, an intrusion, an inconvenience. And there can't be any intrusion into your world. Guess what? You begin to treat children that way. Professor of psychiatry Philip Ney concluded in a widely publicized study that the acceptance of violence against the unborn lowered the parent's resistance to violence against the born. And I don't have time to go into the absolutely crushing guilt and shame and anger that women carry around for the rest of their lives as a result of having an abortion. So now that's the, the pro-choice movement. Let's talk a bit about the pro-life movement. Again, I told you the purpose of this sermon series is to educate you on the issues that the Bible addresses in regards to this upcoming election. It's interesting what the Lord brings to me the week that I'm preparing these sermons. It happens a lot. I discovered this uh, a few days ago. It's a disturbing article from the Christian Post entitled, Over 4 in 10 American Christians Say... The Bible is ambiguous on abortion. It was conducted by a CRC director of research, George Barna. The report found that 44% of respondents said they believe the Bible is ambiguous in its teaching about abortion. As disturbing as that is, this is even more troublesome as the rest of the survey. 34% said abortion is morally acceptable if it spares the mother from financial or emotional discomfort, or hardship. That's us. That's people that are, that are probably attending a church this morning that were polled that said that. So I say, more than ever, we need to know what the Bible says about abortion. Now, historically speaking, just so you know, abortion has been going on from the very beginning. They used to, history tells us, some of you may know this. Um, they would thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, not thousands of years ago, take the womb, hit the stomach to kill the child. They had iron forceps, they would get in through the birth canal and rip out a child. So this was going on, historically speaking. And the Jews. Rejected abortion for two reasons. They took a stand. They rejected it because every life was created by God and therefore to take a life was to strike a blow against God and therefore to violate the first commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the didash, which is a codification of early church teaching, so the early church said this, thou shalt not murder a child by abortion. So Jews in the early church have historically taken a stance Against abortion. So the question is, is the Bible ambiguous in its teaching about abortion? And the first thing I want you to understand is that conception, folks, and you'll see all these verses, is an act of God. Conception is an act of God. It's what the Bible teaches. When Abimelech, the king of Gerar, took Abraham's wife, those of you who remember this story, Sarah, this is what happened to him. This is in Genesis twenty seventeen through 18. Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. The Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So why couldn't those ladies get pregnant? Because they sinned against God in taking Sarah. Who opened their wombs so they could get pregnant? God did. And they put it more plainly. Ruth 4.13 So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Conception is an act of God. Now everybody, get out your Bibles, turn to Psalm 139. I want you to see how intimately God is involved in the creation of life. Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, as you're going there, you can just listen to this first part. David describes what is called the omniscience of God. God is all-knowing. In fact, God's knowledge is far beyond his understanding, he says. And in verses 7 through 12, David describes the omnipresence of God. He is everywhere. So God knows everything and is everywhere all the time. But now watch how personally God, the creator, is involved in the creation of a human life. Look at verse 13. We'll start there. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. You have to understand, you formed my inward parts, it literally in the Hebrew reads my kidneys. So God formed David's kidneys. Well, it's actually more than that, because it's a term that was used to refer to the complex of organs that made up the inside of a human body. So all those organs inside of you, who formed those? God did. Let me translate that a different way. The DNA strips, the complex genetic plan that produced David was knitted or woven together by God. Verse 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. Well, fearfully literally means a high level of reverential awe. So it's a staggering thing to think what God has done in fearfully and wonderfully making David. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Now look how David gets even more technical. In the act of creation, God framed David. Now what does that mean? Bones, muscle, sinew, Ligaments, tendons, structure, etc. In fact, God was even aware of all of it when David was made in secret, skillfully and intricately woven in the depths of the earth. The depths of the earth is a euphemism for what? The womb. The hidden place, the secret place. Verse sixteen. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. My unformed substance. What is that? What's well, a Hebrew word that means something rolled up together or something balled up before it is unfolded? David is saying that when he was just a genetic mass, a tiny embryo, God saw him, and framed him. Let me make this personal. When you were a genetic mass at tiny Embro, where was God? Right there with you, watching you, and what? Creating you, framing you. So God is personally, intimately involved in the very first stages of life. God sees deep into us and is known as intimately from conception. That means you're not a mistake. You have purpose. Now, this is why David says in verses 17 and 18, "'How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! "'How vast is the sum of them! "'If I would count them, they are more than the sand. "'I awake, and I am still with you. You know, you know so much about me that I can't even count all your thoughts about me because they would outnumber the sand of the sea, David is saying. God knows intimately everything about you from the time of your conception because he made you. You are a creation of God by God who weaves together the genetic code, who intimately sees the uninformed or the unformed fetus, and who guides the entire process. That's what David is saying. That's what the Bible is saying. People have children because God creates them in the womb. Now, it doesn't matter if you're married, if you're having sex with somebody you're not married to, if you're raped, if it's incest, that doesn't change the creation of God. Life is created by who? God. And people say, "Well, what about a deformed baby? They call it eugenic abortion. We can kill them if they're defective, right?" No. They're still what? A creation of God. Exactly. That's why the Lord said this in Exodus 411. "Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord?" People with Down syndrome, people with, that, that are born with, with whatever genetic defects are still a creation of God. But what about a baby conceived in rape? We can kill them if it was rape. What about a baby born from incest? We can kill them if it's incest. Do any of those conditions change the fact that every creation is a creation of God? They do not. The Bible is not ambiguous about abortion. And there's even more I'm going to give you. Now, I read to you last week, in 2012, the Democratic Party attempted to remove God from their platform. They had to. Why? Because abortion is an anti-God act. And there are consequences, even for us. I want to talk about abortion and the judgment of God. Every person is created in the image of God. We know this. James 3.9 says this, With it we bless our Lord and Father, meaning our tongues, and with it we curse people who are made, what? In the likeness of God. That's what separates us from the animals. We are made in the image of the likeness of God. Now, what does that have to do with the judgment of God? Well, let's answer that. But look at what the Bible says about capital punishment. Genesis 9, 6, I quote this in the first sermon. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. So if you take somebody's life, they have a right to take your life. Why? Why? because of the sacredness of life. That life was created in whose image? That's a question, you need to answer that one. The image of God, it's the sacredness of life. You see, that's what he's saying here. You're killing a person in the image of God, okay? Now listen to this. Maybe you didn't know this was in the Bible, but watch how this ties into abortion. In Exodus 21, 22 through 25, it says this. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her child comes out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall impose on him. And he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay what? Life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, Wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So according to the law in Exodus, the killing of an infant was what? Murder. And God condemns murders. And the penalty? A life for a life. So it was this way from the very beginning. Think about the very beginning. The very first murder. Cain killed Abel. This is what the scriptures say, Genesis 4.10. The Lord said to Cain, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is what? Do you remember? It's crying to me from the ground. So the blood of Abel in the ground is crying out to God for what? It's vengeance. A life for a life. When Reuben, one of the 12 sons of Jacob, and his brothers sold Joseph into slavery, he thought it was a death sentence. This is his words in Genesis forty-two twenty-two, speaking to his brothers. Did I not tell you not to sin against that boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. From Genesis to Revelation, we see the same thing. The blood of the murdered cries out for vengeance. This is Revelation, chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? How long? before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. So you go through the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, and you find all kinds of comments about blood guiltiness. The blood of those slaughtered cries out for vengeance from God. So does the Bible teach capital punishment? Yes, Jesus said the same thing. Remember, Peter chopped off the ear of the servant. What did Jesus say? You live by the sword, you will what? Die by the sword, yes. So does God respond? The, the blood's crying out. Does God respond? Let me give you an example of his response. Everyone turn to Jeremiah 32. I'll give you some time because even though it's a big book, it's kind of go to the middle of the Bible and make a right. Jeremiah 32, starting in verse 26. Jeremiah 32, starting in verse 26. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Wait till I don't hear any Bibles. Again, it's a good thing for a pastor to hear the pages of a Bible being opened and turned and everything. So... Think Mark is the only one, I want to embarrass him, so we're waiting on Mark. So don't look at Mark now, make him even feel more uncomfortable. <laughs> You're good? He's good. All right. I got to get a little levity in this sermon, all right? In the expense of my children. Verse 26, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am giving this city into the hands of the Chaldeans, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. So they're under judgment. Okay? Now the question is why? Why are they under judgment? Look at verse 29. The Chaldeans who are fighting against this city shall come and set this city on fire and burn it, with the houses on whose roofs offering have been made to Baal and drink offerings have been poured out to other gods to provoke me to anger. Now look at verse 33. They have turned their, to me their back and not their face. And though I have taught them persistently, they have not listened to receive instruction. So why? Why is this judgment coming from God? Well, they rejected God. You see that? Do you see that? Okay. They rejected his word. What it says. Do you see that? And they worshiped idols. They committed the sin of idolatry. Now, what does it result in? All this behavior, this pattern, what happens? Look at verse 35. They built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Molech, though I did not command them, nor did it enter into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. So what was the result of turning from God, turning from his word, in worshiping idols, the murder of innocent children this isn't new what is happening in our society do you see that abortions always been seen as murder that brings divine judgment Mur- murdering innocent children was the kind of sin specifically identified in the bible as bringing about what? Divine judgment. Murdering innocent children was the kind of sin that led the nation of Israel to its destruction. This is the path that this country is on. Is there anything That shows more clearly the moral collapse of a society than the mass murder of babies in the wombs of mothers. Now, there is some good news. I'm going to talk about hope and forgiveness. Everyone, turn your Bible to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. I'm going to specifically look at Mark to see if he can beat anybody in this room getting there. Psalm 22. Psalm twenty-two, or look it up in your phone, whatever. We should have like a race. Some with a Bible and some with a phone, so you can get to the 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 verse quicker. Folks, only God can take something as horrible as a slaughter of innocent children and turn it into good. Psalm twenty-two, verses nine and ten. This is David speaking. Yet you are he, I mean speaking to God, who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Now, isn't that a neat, encouraging statement? David knew that he belonged to God when he was where? In his mother's womb. I want you to please see that redeeming grace comes from God to the participants in the tragedy of abortion. First of all, his grace reaches out and takes those little ones to be with himself. The Bible is so very clear that people perish in hell, right? But why? Because they refuse to believe. Thus hell is for those who rejected God and his son Jesus Christ. This is something an unborn infant could never do. You with me so far? And so God, not having a just basis by virtue of either attitude or action of an unborn child would have no basis on which to sentence that child to hell, except for what? The depravity, their sinful nature that they inherited in Adam. However, this is never a cause for damnation apart from evidence in behavior or attitude. And so God must then receive them into his own kingdom. This is why David said when his baby died, what? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Where did David go when he died? He's going to be with the Lord. Where is David saying his son is? With the Lord. Did that child that was just born do anything right or wrong? No. Did you know that? So once again, we see that God's grace overrules sin. Scriptures teach that. Now, it even extends to those who have an attitude or action, been guilty of aborting a child. Now, I know that there are probably some people here who've had abortions. I want you to know that the Lord Jesus Christ offers you forgiveness for that sin. Now, there may be some of you who have been engaged in a medical practice as a doctor or a nurse or attendant. And even involved in that way in an abortion. There may be some of you who have at one time or another assisted a friend in getting an abortion. Or perhaps worked in a place where that was done. Now the Lord forgives you if you come to Him. And that is a very comforting thought because to those who come to Him and seek forgiveness, God's word remains true. There is therefore now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, I'm going to close with this point. I call it taking a stand. Uh, the Jews, as I told you historically, they took a stand against abortion, the early church took a stand. My question is will you take a stand? Romans 13 tells us from the first sermon on this, in this series that governing authorities are to punish evil behavior and reward good behavior. So it's only logical that the citizens of, that subject themselves to these governing authorities expect that the candidate to whom they cast their vote has at least an elementary understanding of what is right and wrong, good or evil, Right? It's a basic understanding of what is right and wrong, good or evil. Now, after reading both Republican and Democratic Party platforms last week, and sharing verbatim, by the way, what they state, personally, it's very troubling to me that one of our nation's main political parties, the Democratic Party, is running on a platform of gross sexual immorality and murder. And just let me say, I hope that it's offensive and troubling to you as well. In the Democratic Party, their ideal world is that taxpayers fund contraception so people can engage in all kinds of sexual morality. And if you get pregnant, taxpayers will fund your abortion. Sex without any consequences. Sex without the intrusion or inconvenience of a child. I didn't make this up. You read that last week, word for word from what is said in these political party platforms. I want you to go back to Jeremiah 32. We're going to look at verses 33 and 35. I want to drive home a point, two points really, starting in verse 35. Jeremiah 32, verse 35. You may have missed this when you read this section, but look at verse 35. God says this Nor did it enter into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Let me just tell you that the killing of innocent children is unthinkable to God. That's what he is saying. That's what the phrase, nor did it enter my mind, means. So abortion is unthinkable to God. And I hope that you maybe felt that way or thought that way when that born alive bill was was being up there. Up to nine months, the baby's born alive, you can still legally abort that child. I mean, that's just unthinkable to me. It's unthinkable to God. And it should be unthinkable to God's people. But look at verse 33. This is where it's gonna get personal for some of us here. And though I have taught them persistently they have not listened to receive instruction. Now remember, the Jews historically have rejected abortion. But you have to ask yourself the question, well, why they take their born, newborn children and incinerate them on an altar to Moloch, burning them as human sacrifices? Because they knew what? Abortion was wrong. Killing, murdering innocent children was wrong. I want you to notice the pattern. It begins by rejecting God. That's the first thing they did. And they rejected his word, his teaching. That's followed by what? Idolatry. And when God is removed, the moral center, the compass of the people is removed. And humanity is no longer restrained. And falls into depravity and commits unthinkable acts. The slaughter of innocent children. This is a path that our nation is taking. Well, how can it be stopped? Well, the church is to be what in the world? Salt and light. Well, how are we doing? Not, not good. I just read you. Over 40% of the people in the church think the Bible's teaching on abortion is ambiguous. And so what happened to the Jews, I'm concerned, It's happening to the church. People know at the very core of who they are, your basic conscience, the the killing of, of innocent people, including children, is wrong. And yet you find in the church people who vote for candidates, whether it be Republican or Democrat, who don't hide this fact. They proudly and aggressively support laws and policies that murder innocent children. When you vote for a candidate and you know that it's a candidate's position, you're endorsing that position. Do you understand that? And the witness of the church, therefore, has been severely damaged in our society by our hypocrisy. With our mouths, we say abortion is wrong. Then we lay aside what the word of God clearly says. We set it over here. And with our vote, elect candidates who endorse the very thing that God condemns and judges. The very thing God finds unthinkable, the murder of innocent children. That's why I said, don't change books. Be a kingdom voter. Right? I'm doing this not for my sake, it's for our sake. Because we're giving account for our lives for all things the deeds well done in the body do you think that your voting isn't included in that apparently we do in james 3 9 and 10 it says this this whole idea here it kind of culminates in this verse right here james 3 9 and 10 with the tongue we praise our lord and father And with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Brothers and sisters, this should not be in how we vote regarding this issue. Christians should be consistent in their witness. Now I've been advising you as your pastor to practice kingdom voting. Partnering with God for the expansion of his kingdom to the praise of his glory. I have also taught you last week... That Christians should seek the welfare of the country in their voting. That's Jeremiah 29. Now the Jews took a stand against abortion. The church took a stand against abortion. Will you take a stand against abortion? Now there are a number of ways you can do that, and one way you can do that is with your vote in this election. Here's the deal: it's your choice. It's your choice. Either you're gonna believe what the word of God says and not gonna set it aside because of your political posturing because of a traditional way you voted or you may get some sort of advantage voting for a particular party even though it is completely endorsing ideas and ideologies and philosophies that are blatantly against the word of God. It's a choice you will have to make. And I am educating you on these decisions. Because you need to be a little concerned. Because if you know and you still what? Disobey, what does the scripture say? You will be beaten with many blows. If you don't know and do things deserving punishment, what will happen? You're beaten with a few blows. So it's concerning to me what I see in the church. People that know... And yet they just put everything aside and vote the way for whatever reason. I'm encouraging you, understand what each candidate says, what their policies are, how it impacts society. Will it be for the welfare of the country? Vote biblically, and that's the application point. It's a matter of submission, folks. It's no longer taking a stand. Is Will you put aside your political posturing? Invoke consistently with the teachings of the Word of God. Amen. Because it is not, on this issue, ambiguous. And I understand it is, uh, it is the, the drawing line. I mean, it's, it's, there's no middle ground on this. They try and find middle ground, but there really is no middle ground on this. Now, it's a controversial subject. The next week will be controversial too, but... We need to know what the Bible says about these issues so we can vote biblically. Because my concern for us, you, myself, individually, is when we do stand before God and give an account. We'll have a reason for why we did what we did. It's in every area of your life from your finances to your schedule to your marriage to how you raise your family and, yes, to how you vote. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, we worship you, but we, we need your spirit to open our eyes and to show us the area of our lives where we're falling short. Every one of us here has an area where we fall short. And I pray that we would open up our hearts, as Ephesians says, that Jesus Christ would be able to settle down Dwell in our hearts through faith that He be comfortable in our lives, that every area of our life we've surrendered to Him, so He can live His life through us, so that He can be glorified, because that's the end goal. And so, Lord, it is telling that the attendance has gone down during this sermon series. I don't think people want to hear the truth. And that's what you said would happen in the last days. But I pray that we would be truth-tellers. Loving people, loving our God, but not backing down from the issues that you so clearly lay out. Things that are unthinkable and that break your heart, that offend you, that bring about your judgment. That we would stand on your side against a lost and dying world, reaching out to them with the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you that there is always hope, that there's always forgiveness with you, and that you would use this message to bring someone to you, that you would use this message to maybe even save a life. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand. Let's close with this song. And then you're just